<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake sand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with. Know the system you're messing with before. You... Yes, that's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. So we're just gonna open our fortune cookie, and it is a badly drawn penis, hedgehog, and box. I like that we have a high concept fortune cookie. You should go listen to that song and play Frogger. There's your fortune cookie. There it is. Like as soon as you said it, I was like, oh no, that's it, that's it, that's it. And I was like connecting the yeah, no. love it, love it. You're, okay. I love it. I, lo- I think that I, I might make myself that a little slip of paper to carry around. That's what I'm leaving in this world. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. We're back. And welcome to Angriement. Welcome back. We had a quick hiatus. We're back and better than ever. Probably not. Sure. But we're back. <laughs> we're all, I, I usually try to edit this out, but we're always so down. We're like, we're going to be great. And then we're like, no, this is terrible. All downhill. But... <laughs> I think we love doing it and that's what counts. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, just, I, I don't even feel downhill. I just feel like I'm at a plateau right now. I'm like, it's just, you know, just cr- uh, on cruise control. Is it a control. plateau? Is it a plateau or have we built a beautiful, sustainable podcast that can just last forever? Just can go forever. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to top our, actually, I'm in a very like, as a, as a small business owner, I'm, I'm rejecting the notion of like growth you know, quarter after quarter, because it's very, like, it's, it's impossible. And I feel like that's the same thing here. Like, I don't don't have to be better than ever. I'm just, I'm bringing you what I bring you, you know, like, guys, this is it. You get what what, you get. Yeah. Every once in a while, maybe we've got a really great episode because we're in a really great place. And maybe every once in a while, it's a not so great episode because we're in a not so great place. But most of the time, you know what? It's a pretty good thing. I want a great episode because we're in a not so great place. Those are my favorites. When we just get Those angry, angry. <laughs> just like <laughs> the world has gone to hell. Here's where we're at with it. Yeah, no. Um, I, that'll probably be like the next episode for me because the stupid ending of daylight savings time back to standard time happened yesterday as no 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 i'm not listening i'm not listening to anyone slander against daylight savings time i am stopping you michelle i know you hate it i know no no no. i hate standard time oh okay so your daylight savings is fine yes i want daylight savings all the time i hate standard time i do not understand why people want more time in the morning and i can't speak rationally about it you like it when it gets dark at like 4.30 in the afternoon though? Yeah. Okay, no. Very much. And you want it dark in the morning. Well, that, your time doesn't exist. So I don't yes, know. Yes, what I would like <laughs> is a sunless <laughs> The sun, I've said it before here on this podcast, the sun is my enemy. Anyway, welcome to our welcome podcast. To, welcome to Angry Men. We're, uh, the we're not, we're, see, we're not even angry. 
on Angry Mitter Podcast. We bring you, when we feel like it, which is most every fortnight. Most of them. Three things. What are those three things, Michelle? Those three things are a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing. And then what do we do with them, Catherine? With those six things, because we each bring three things and I'm good at math. We can do math. (laughs) (laughs) We try to just fit them all together, make them cohere into a what we call fortune cookie right that that level of uh, thought that you can take with you for your fortnight and try to live by words to live by reflect so this is episode 52 and you go first and i go first Well, my weird thing is um, my NaNoWriMo experience, which we are both participating in. This is, I am, you know, I was a creative writing major in undergrad, I'm an English person. I write a lot. This is my very first NaNoWriMo. And um, it's my weird thing is just how weird this experience is. Uh, so I do not write long form fiction. I was thinking about it and I never have. And even like the long things that I've written, like my dissertation, which was book length, obviously, it was still, you know, broken into very discrete chapters of about 50 pages or whatever. So like, I I was just thinking, like, I don't write long form like this. Like, this is not something that I do. So for those of you who do not know, NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. It is in November every year, though I don't know why they put it in November when November is for all the reasons I was just complaining about. Very depressing. <laughs> it's also very busy. I feel like NaNoWriMo it's should cozy. be. cozy. You are dark and cozy for writing. Dark and cozy for crying in the fetal position. Um, well, so- that's where inspiration <laughs> and true art comes from. So use your pain. Use my pain. Lead onto the page. Um- <laughs> Michelle's novel, Dark, 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 Cry, 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 comes so- out with Penguin Random House Sorry. 2025. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, so I'll just, my premise for my NaNoWriMo novel, which you didn't, so, oh, I don't think I finished saying, you're supposed to meet like a certain word count daily, and the goal is that by the end of November, you have 50,000 words written, which is the manuscript length for a standard novel, and so it's like, what does it come out to, like 1,700 words a day or something like that to, to get there, so my NaNo, I came into it with nothing pre-planned nothing outlined, nothing but like an inkling of an idea. Um, and the idea was just that I wanted to write about an an AITA and am I the asshole like Reddit thread tearing a community apart. So that was my, <laughs> that was my concept. That's what I was I going that. with. And um, so I've just been diving in and following kind of the spirit of the thing and just making myself write every day. And so my my weird thing about it is, is that like my premise for it was pretty dark. Like I was like, I'd been reading all these, they come up on Facebook all the time. Like the, they grab them off of Reddit and then put them in a blog post and then tease you with them. And then you have to click on the blog post to read the full thing. And then it's all the comments about what people think about it. And it's just really interesting to me, one, that they're clearly very popular just as a thing that people want to read. And then two, that I am personally drawn to them. Like, like, why do I care if this person is an asshole or not? Like, you know, like, I don't understand, but I think it's the, the self-reflective nature of it. Like somebody like being like, Hey, I did this thing. And I feel like maybe I should pause and, and get, get, get a little gut check. 
from these random strangers to decide, you know, like, I just think that's an interesting rhetorical situation, right? Yeah, Yeah. And like, like you are kind of, you're telling on yourself, but you're still an unreliable narrator because of the way, like, it's just a very interesting piece of writing to write and am I the asshole, right? And so as that is happening, um, I expected, so my thing was I was going to have somebody post and am I the asshole thread and they were they're just sharing it into the group to be like oh my gosh I found this do you think it's about our neighborhood and then like somebody in the neighborhood decides that it's about them and gets super paranoid and is trying to figure out who wrote it about them and then they write and they write their own am I the asshole for something they did in retaliation and it's just like this domino effect of like paranoia and like dysfunction right and that was my plan my plan was to like and I don't know like what the commentary for that was going to be I guess maybe probably something about like social media or like artifice in communication being something that would destroy us all but that's not what's happening like my characters have just they're just doing things on their own and I'm like what are you all doing what are you what are you doing and it has gotten so much more optimistic like the chaos is all there but it's like it's like they were distant from one another and didn't know one another very well like even like a husband and wife that like are in the same household like this thing is bringing them together in a really messy dark like ugly we gotta cut through the jungle together way but like I, I don't know I feel like all my characters are gonna end up more connected to one another through this weird falling apart and I'm like, man, like, even when I'm just trying to be bitter and mean, I end up with optimism at the other side. And I just, that's weird. I think it's weird. You are a radical optimist. I really do think that I just can't help it. Does that happen to you in your writing often, though, where it just goes a totally different way than you were expecting? Or is that like something you're finding in the quick, long form? I think it's the long form. form that's making that happen. Because I think usually when I'm writing like a short story or a poem, I have the whole arc in my head like even if I don't um know exactly where all the dots will go I know what all the dots are you know and so it's rare that I'm like surprised by the big things like I might be surprised by like a line of dialogue a character does or you know like the way a character behaves I'm like whoa you know I wasn't expecting that to happen but but for the whole thing to shift like that that doesn't usually happen when I write short fiction so this has been surprising because I always before I started writing fiction, I had read like Stephen King's on writing. And I know he's not the only one to say this, but it's like, let, it's something so many writers say, right? How can that happen? And yeah, when I started writing novels, that happened all the time. And it's so cool. I think yeah. it's like the coolest, best thing. So yeah, happy, I almost like that's happening for you. Like I was joking with someone today. I'm like, I'm like, my characters are really going through it. I want to be like, oh, do you all need like a therapist? Like, where, like, where are you coming from? Like, I'm like, oh, that's my mind that doing? they're coming from. Like, I don't know about <laughs> this. <laughs> it's a good, yeah, it's a good way to see how you see yourself. If like, but I'm so happy you're doing Nano. This is my third Nano Rimo. I think it is a helpful thing. I think the culture of it. I'm happy that it's there for people because the culture of it is very intense. That wouldn't even say intense, but well-formed, right? There's a lot of lore and there's a lot of in-depth, long-held, well-maintained things. 
like like even the language where you're like i didn't plan it out so that means you're a pantser right right there's all these right. terms yes. for people that nano has created which i did not go, know anything about till this year you go by the seat of your pants you're a pantser if you plot it out you're a plotter things that do not exist within the larger literary world but exist in nano and it's really nice there's all these like i like to watch youtube videos of book talk and book to people who will like go in and it's not just people who are influencers but like regular nano people will do this too where they get in like a group and all send each other care packages before it starts with like tea and writing supplies and it's really sweet it's a really i think supportive and sweet and caring community it is to me a little cringy at times right it's not exactly my vibe and yet it's my third year doing it and i love it so i'm not going to judge it um and they have really cool I find it shockingly helpful when they have, um, they'll have like YouTube write-alongs where they're like, here's a quick prompt or a topic. And now we're going to give you three minutes and you have to write as many words as you can. If you have the opportunity to like join in in on any of those, those are shockingly helpful. And I joined like my, I have not gone to any of the events, but I joined like my regional one. And there's like all these events being held at like, libraries and coffee houses and it's just I don't know like the idea of people getting together just to write and support one another in writing and a lot of them don't have any necessary like financial goals or professional goals for what they're just like I just want to write I just want to finish this thing I just want to get ideas out and that's that's beautiful like I agree it's not it's not quite my vibe either like some of the like cutesy you know, like the, some of the little yeah. cutesy, like icons and drawings and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I, I could, but I mean, it's not hurting me. Like, you know, like exactly. I not look at that part. Like, <laughs> Right. I ignore a great deal of it, but then I do take in more than, than I ever thought I would. And did I like you, it. I got did my you finish? husband to do it last year. Have you finished? I finished both of the previous years. Yeah. And that's I read both. somewhere that only 10 to 15% of people do. Wow. That, it was really helpful for me for finishing. Um, both years I was already like like pretty deep into novel projects. I didn't start anything with it. Okay. Um, but it was helpful for me to like finish them where I think I might have just took forever and never finished it. But this year I am starting a, a new project and I think I wouldn't have done it otherwise and I'm excited. So... I'm excited too. All right. Well, thank you for doing it with me. Yeah. I feel like you. I'm held more accountable. So, okay. My weird thing is, have you ever seen the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid? Yes. Yes. I've never Do been there, but I've seen it from the road. Because it's in, is it in Tennessee? It's in Memphis, and I yes. know that. Yes. Yeah, you and I, we would always meet in t- various places yeah. in Tennessee, so we were always driving by it. Anyway, I love postmodern architecture, and this is for those of you who don't know. It's on kind of right off the Mississippi River. It's in Memphis. It is a giant pyramid structure made of glass. It is amongst you know if you it's not like considered a pyramid like the pyramids in Egypt. But if you did count it, it would be the third biggest pyramid in the world. Um, it's very big. And thanks to, so I was, I've always been very enamored with this building because it's just wild. It's a very interesting looking postmodern pyramid. 
And then it is a Bass Pro shop store. That's what's in it. This giant thing. And those things are so incongruous, but I never really paid much attention to it besides loving it. And the other day, my favorite TikToker in the world, this is the best TikTok account. And if you don't look at TikTok ever again, please just go look at this person's TikToks. Amazing architecture histories. Their name is Andy, but their account is at Brooke Hogan Official. B-R-O-O-K or E? B-R-O-O-K-E, Hogan Official. So at Brooke Hogan Official, and the person's actual name is Andy. That's what shows up. So Andy had a video that was about the history of the Memphis Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. And it just got better. The history made me love it more. So I'm just going to quickly tell you about it because the pyramid itself is a weird thing. And then I learned about it. So that's that. So it was previously, it was not built to be a Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. It was previously known as the Great American Pyramid and Pyramid Arena because it was built in 1991 as a sporting arena. But it was, con- so it was built in 1991 to be a sports stadium. It was conceived of in 1954. So this was like 40 years in the making. And it was conceived of by a pretty well-known architect named Mark C. Hartz, who was from Memphis. He was an artist and architect. And originally it was supposed to include three pyramids with this big pyramid in the middle, two smaller pyramids on either side. And um, that project just languished for decades because it was very expensive. Um, So that the architect's son made his father's dream a reality to build this pyramid. And it was going to be a whole amusement park, right? It was going to have a hard rock cafe in it. And a very fun fact is that while there never was a hard rock cafe built within this pyramid, when it was built in 1991, the owner of all the hard rock cafe franchises, right? The person who conceived of the hard rock cafe, (laughs) um, put a crystal skull in the top of the pyramid and that sounds like such a lie and there's a lot of hyperbole around the building of this pyramid but that has been confirmed that in 1991 and a metal box wielded to a beam near the top inside of which was a crystal skull secretly placed at the behest of john tiggerts who owns the hard rock cafe his son isaac his son isaac wanted a crystal skull in this pyramid um cool that was later removed they wanted their crystal skull back so it's oh not i thought like there okay all right then it was used for concerts the grateful dead played there twice um boxing matches big arena events from 2002 to 2006 the annual church of god in christ mega church event held convocations and conferences there and Interestingly, weirdly enough, filmmaker Craig Brewer used the building as a soundstage for his film Black Snake Moan in 2005. So it's where Black Snake Moan was shot. Um, Inside of the pyramid? Inside of the pyramid. I mean, like, have you seen Black Snake Moan? Yeah. Yeah, like, I can't. So, I mean, I guess, like, assuming like the shots that are inside the house. 
Right. I'm assuming that the out, like the outdoors was done in Memphis, but then yeah, anything in the house was I it just it's not a big production movie. I don't know why you need to put it in there. But uh Craig Brewer did. So there's a lot of hyperbole for how it came to be the Bass Pro Shop. For most of the 2000 most of the 2010s it sat empty and abandoned one version says that the owner of the best pro shops was an urban explorer who liked to like go into dead malls and places and climb around and he explored this crystal i mean not crystal skull he explored the pyramid and fell in love with it and said i want to put a shop here that's one story um the other story is that the founder of the Bass Pro Shops, Johnny Morris, went fishing on the Mississippi River on a business trip. And basically, they got near the Memphis Pyramid on this fishing trip. And he looked up at it and told everyone he was fishing with that he would build a store inside it if they caught a 30-pound catfish that day. And they did. And so... Johnny gotta, said, gotta do it then. We're gonna do it. So one or the other, take your pick. But now there is a bass pro shop inside of the Nashville Pyramid, Great American Pyramid, Pyramid Arena. There is a hotel in that bass pro shop, and the rooms look down into the store. And something about that makes me want to go spend the night there more than anything. I don't know why, but I desperately want to go to the Bass Pro Shop Hotel because I can't even imagine what that experience would be like. Surreal, for sure. Surreal. It also has the world's tallest freestanding elevator. And they've marked so many things off your bucket list in one one trip. Right? Right? I feel like we really missed, you know, we never got to Dollywood, but I feel like this was another um, Tennessee. Tennessee's just calling us back. You know, we went to Nashville and I feel like Nashville is not our place, no, but no, maybe Nashville's this not for us. Been. Yeah. Maybe I, we liked Knoxville it. a lot though. Very much. I like Knoxville, but yeah. Nashville kind of got under skin. Yeah. Nashville, we were kind of like in the, so no I think offense, we Nashville. I mean, I guess maybe eh, offense, all offense, I don't know. Nashville, <laughs> Nashville where Probably Bachelor better. contestants come from. I just feel like the vibe of Nashville is like every contestant you see on The Bachelor and every yeah. Bachelorette. That is the vibe. And that's that's not know. us. And I guess I just, I don't know. I guess I just assumed with that giant Bass Pro on the side. I'm like, oh, Bass Pro did this. But it makes more sense that it started as something with a, I mean, I don't want to say grander purpose. I don't want to limit Bass Pro's reach or influence <laughs> on the American culture, but like, I don't know, like a sports arena makes more sense to me than like, hey, a giant outdoor store. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, pop culture. Pop culture. My pop culture thing, I don't really even know what to say about it. Have you seen Willy's Wonderland? I do not know what that is. Okay. Um, it <laughs> was made just in- set 
set back a second. She's like, I have to recalculate. Yeah, okay. recalculate how to talk about this. Yes. It is a 2021 horror action comedy something film starring Nick Cage, who, spoiler alert, never <gasps> says a single word in the entire thing. Um, and it is... It was loosely inspired by Five Nights at Freddy's, which, you know, that film just came out and like all the kids are very, all the kids in my life that are older are very excited about that. Um, and, you know, it's like haunted animatronics or demonic animatronics or whatever. So this yeah, like takes that idea. Haunted house. Yes. Yes. So in this case, Nicolas Cage is, I, I'm just going to spoil this entire movie. I don't think it can be spoiled in the sense that, like, it doesn't change the watching of it at all to know every single thing that happens. Um, so Nicolas Cage is driving through a town and his tires get blown out on, like, a, you know, like a police speed strip thing. And they're like, oh, man, you know, like, we we can fix your tires but we don't take cash and there's no atms and he doesn't have or, or we only take cash and there's no atms and he doesn't have any cash or whatever so like oh well if you'll just clean out this old like you know w willie's wonderland if you'll just clean it for us for the night then we'll call it good and your car will be waiting for you here in the morning and so without saying a single word he goes in with his like i can't remember what the juice is called but it's like energy drink in a can and puts those in the fridge and starts meticulously like large parts of this movie are like the tiktok videos where very filthy things get cleaned and people just watch them for, <laughs> like for the, the piece of it yeah yeah yes like large parts of the movie are very meticulously shot him like like almost like asmr like the spray of the cleaning spray and the the circles of the rags and look at how much cleaner this window is getting and then every once in a while an animatronic that is filled with the soul of a serial killer will come out <laughs> what a great combo <laughs> and he will beat it to death um and then but who he, else could do that but no Nicholas one Cage, else right no one else i am going to show you a clip which i know is not much fun for our listeners but i'm gonna do it anyway so during this, he has set an alarm. He's he um cleans nonstop. He's very without ever saying a word, he just shook the guy's hand, but he's very, very committed to his promise to clean this place. But he has set an alarm so that it seems like every hour he gets like and it's funny because the guy who's like, Don't forget to take breaks. This is hard work, which I guess is supposed to be the premise to set this up. So like like every hour or something, the alarm goes off and he'll just stop like whatever he's doing, like mid swipe and go into the break room and pull one of his cans out of the refrigerator and drink it and play on the pinball machine. And then the alarm goes off again to tell him to go back and he just goes back and keeps working. So at one point, this is a scene. made this movie i love nicholas cage <laughs> nicholas cage made this? he's one of the producers yes yes, yes he did yes you did Nick. Nick. 
When was this made? 2021. He looks good. Hot dog shot. his alarm going off so he's going back to go clean and beat animatronics to death um there's a whole subplot where there's like a teenager you know like we have to burn this place down the townspeople have been sacrificing you know tourists to this place and we can't allow it to happen and then you find out her backstory and like I, it, I, it, none of that matters i mean it's all just about beating these animatronics to death right um and it's just i don't i mean i don't know what to say about it other than it was just such a strange sensory experience to see clearly this was a Nick Cage role, right? Like nobody else could do this and he doesn't speak, but he, but it's also like, he's not phoning this in. Like he's working very hard to sell this in this very strange character. And it's, it was just a, it was an experience that, you know, Yeah. That's a pop culture thing. I can't wait to watch that. I can't wait to watch that. Um, and that's so funny because my pop culture thing, which I'm really glad that was your pop culture thing. I actually, we don't share these with each other beforehand. I don't know if this is a cheat, but I had two pop culture things because the one I really wanted to do, I'm like, that's not enough. And then I had this really long one, which I'll do next time. But this fits so well, and it's what I wanted to do, so I'm going to do it. Um, which is, I had a very similar experience with a movie. Um, a very different kind of movie, but like a scary movie, a horror movie. Have you heard of the movie Skinamarink? No. Oh my gosh. So. Like Skinamarinky-dinky-dink. Yes, yes, Okay, okay. Yes, it's, it's named <laughs> after the song. Um, how horror films are often named is really interesting. I've been watching a lot of horror films just because of the season to try to feel spooky in the middle of the spring and a rainforest. In the endless sun. <laughs> right, in the endless sun of a rainforest that I'm in. Um, and I've watched a lot. I finally watched Insidious, which is considered like one of the best ones. And I thought it was pretty stupid. I did not like it. Um, horror movies are stupid. So it's I, it's making me realize that it's hard. Like I, it make, it's like video games. When there's a video game I like, I love it. But it's so hard to make a good video game and then a video game that suits my taste. And horror movies are like that. If it's a scary movie, horror movie that I like, I will. I love it. It's like my favorite thing. But it's very hard to hit that sweet spot. And so I've been watching terrible, terrible, terrible ones. Mike Flanagan, go to jail. I love what you do for Netflix, but have you seen his horror movies? He did. He did um the one was it Hush? I really like that. That is on my list, and I have not watched it. Yet. I really okay. like Hush. So he has a chance to redeem himself. But I will see your Hush and raise you Oculus, which is so. I didn't. Bad. I have not seen Oculus. Oh, don't, don't. It's oh god. It's for the rest of the. The next day, even my husband and I kept going. I'm so upset about that movie. I'm just mad at it. 
it was just, I'm mad at it. It was so not even, it was so bad, but it was just went beyond that. I'm just, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed by Flanagan. Um, I have a lot to say about the fall of the house of Usher too. I don't. Have you watched that? I did watch it. I did watch it. I, um, if it hadn't been Mike Flanagan, I think I would have tapped out after episode two. Um, I ultimately, I feel like it redeemed itself. I feel like it was pretty good. I am not a huge, I'm, I'm not against Poe. Like Poe's fine, but I'm not like a huge Poe fan. Like, you know, the people who have read every story multiple times and know all of the little, like, cause there was a ton of allusions and nods to Poe's work. Um, like every episode. And yet, was I don't think Mike Flanagan. And yet I don't think Mike Flanagan's ever read any Edgar Allan Poe. The references to <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe were like, well, this guy's named Roderick. This woman's named Annabelle Lee. Goldbug has a green cover, right? We'll make this whole episode really green. There was no actual, like, it was like, it, 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 Edgar Allan Poe's so in the zeitgeist. It's like if you took someone who has never read it and say, write everything like you know you about Edgar Allan Poe. if you let ChatGPT write your Edgar Allan Poe bio. <laughs> it would know more. It would draw from it. He's like, I don't know. There's someone in a wall, right? And that has to do with a drink, right? And like, also, there's a swinging pendulum that kills someone, right? Okay, it's <laughs> that was the level. I will agree with you that Poe is is it's like almost impossible to adapt him to the screen, whether yeah. you like him or not. That's not his thing. Yeah, no. Um, I found myself being so bored. The, the first episode was so at least like boring. And again, if it had not been Mike Flanagan, I wouldn't have stuck with it. And then it would just, it would go from boring monologues to just horrific to where my, my jaw was on the ground. I'm like, I don't, don't want to be watching this. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Every single time they flash back to like the detective and the, the, the him in the past, I even would go, oh, here we go again. Like, right. just like every single time it was back to the monologues. He's like, <laughs> can we just stop it? <laughs> It was, it just, I, it was like, I think Mike Flanagan loves Succession and he's like, I'm going to make Edgar Allan Poe Succession and it's what it was and I don't like Succession. Anyway, this is not my pop culture. My pop culture is- You were worried it wouldn't be enough. We'll just go off on tangents. I know. I can <laughs> get me talking about film and television. Boy, howdy. Um. So I've been watching a ton of horror movies. Some have been terrible, like Oculus. Some have been interesting. There's an interesting one called A Ghost Story from 1981, which has like Fred Astaire is in it. It's his last film and he is having the time of his life and it's great. Um, but my new favorite horror movie, if you ask me what's my favorite horror movie, I think before this, I would I really like the movie Sinister. If you haven't seen that, that was that one, one of my either. favorite horror movies. Cabin in the Woods is of oh, yeah, course like excellent. Woods. Um, I got in a debate about if like Hereditary and Midsummer would count as a favorite horror movie. I think so. I think what else would you call horror? Them? Yeah, there's still suspense. I mean, I what... think the argument was that they're like so filmic they rise above genre but i think that's bullshit is this like so. when people are like does it count as literature or not yeah no right no. right yeah, no. exactly like um like uh emily st john mandel can't be sci-fi of right. course she is she's just yeah. excellent at it um all those things deserve to be well made so i think like hereditary um, i did not like hereditary i like i just 
it's one of Ivan's favorite movies. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I, I feel like I must be missing something because I, must be. I just did not appreciate it at all. But I liked Midsummer. Midsummer is great. Um, I do like, I mean, I don't like Hereditary because it's like, oh, it makes you feel awful. But I think it's a great film. Anyway, now topping my list of favorite horror movies is the movie Skinnamarink. It was done in 2022 by Kyle Edward Ball. And it was his feature film debut. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. And that, and so it's it's really cool to look at. It's really cool to watch. I think it is the scariest movie I've ever seen. The final 10 seconds of it are this just so scary, the scariest thing. And I was just like, if I had been alone watching that, I would have just been like, okay, put the coffee pot on. We're turning all the lights on. We're not sleeping tonight. Not even thinking about it. Um, and it's really unique and really original in what it does. I think it is one of those, I think horror movies are better when they don't show you very much, when yeah. you have to imagine most of it. And this is the height of that. This is the height of that to where it is a super divisive movie. And I could totally understand why people would hate it. I usually write, like, if you love a movie, you're like, oh, everyone else is an idiot. But I love this and totally respect and understand anyone who says this is a bullshit movie that they hate. But I want everyone I know to watch it and just talk to them about it. You just want to know where they is, are on the. I just want to know. And it's like, I don't care. I won't like respect you less. I won't think differently of you because I understand both sides. Um, it because right it now. is. It's an hour and 40 minutes. And it's just a lot of staring into mainly black spaces, staring into poorly lit hallways, being like, what's going to happen um, without anything happening? And the plot, I don't think it's much to give away the plot. There's not really a plot to it. The conceit is that two children wake up one day and all the doors to their house have disappeared, as have their parents. Oh. And, yeah. I don't and, like that. Um, I think... That's it. I, I don't have that. You can't say much about this film because there's nothing to it. And that was, that's what makes it so I, brilliant. Well, I just, I Googled it to see what it was streaming on. Um, and it's it, the first question is, is Skinnamarink actually scary? And I, I want to imagine that it's people asking after they've watched it, like, am, am I scared? Like, 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 is that the feeling that I have? Is this, is that what I'm feeling? And the answer was, it's definitely not for everyone, but some viewers <laughs> will find it absolutely terrifying and unforgettable. Characters are almost never fully visible on screen, but children are unquestionably in peril. Yeah, I think it taps into it taps into nightmares so well. And because he that was his thing on YouTube forever, it taps into the feeling. It taps into feelings of like childhood powerlessness and being just so afraid. Of like. I don't know quite, it doesn't sound like that that interesting or scary to be like, oh, it taps into childhood fears, but the feeling of when you're a kid, yeah. and you don't fully understand the world, and like, it is night, and it is dark, and you have to get out of bed and go do something. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the whole feeling. That's This cat, this puts you right back there for the whole movie. But nothing happens, really. There's no... <laughs> There's like maybe two jump scares in this movie. You think it's going to have 5,000 jump scares. Um, but but like jump scares are there to release tension, right? So this movie yeah. just does not release the tension for almost two hours. 
And then the end, it's also a movie that I find fascinating and I won't give the ending away. And I hope I'm not building it up too much for me to say, like, I think the last 10 seconds, the last line of it is horrific. Um, My brother watched it and recommended it and he said the same thing and I agree with him. It didn't spoil it for me. But I think very interestingly, this is so many films work better in theaters. This is a film I think you have to watch in your own home and it works much better. Watch it in your house in the dark. Yeah. So Skinnamarink cannot recommend it highly enough, but or clearly that's how I was too. You (laughs) might hate, you might hate me for it, but it seems like it has a lot in common in some ways with um, like like it's an aesthetic, it's a feeling, it's a yeah, yeah. All right, are we ready for research things? All right. So um, my research thing starts by wanting to know more about the Soviet Workweek experiment. Um, have you heard about this? I don't think I have. Okay. Um, I'm I got try- very excited. My face got excited because I think maybe I have, but I cannot recall. Okay. I'm going to try to pronounce this. I wrote it out phonetically so that hopefully I can say it right. It's Nepirevka. Nepirevka um, is the concept that the Soviets put into place because they wanted constant productivity. And in order to ensure constant productivity, they took away what was a seven day work week where Sundays were off for everybody, including like forced, like, you know, stores shut down, everybody took Sunday off as a day of rest kind of thing. And um, it had the dual purpose, I guess the the triple purpose of um, breaking down religion because they didn't want didn't want religious institutions and breaking down the family because they didn't want the family to come before the state and creating a constant stream of productivity in the workplace. And so the, the concept was on September 29th, 1929 was a Sunday uh, and just like a day of rest after six days of labor, but the Soviets then did away with it, right? So after, I think that was the last Sunday for a while in their in their workforce. So what they did was they created a continuous working week, which was called the Neperevka. Neperevka. And it was five days long with days of rest staggered throughout the week. And everybody in the society was assigned a color. And so you would be sign, assigned yellow, peach, red, purple, or green. So there were five systems. And so you would work for five days and then you would have a day off. And meanwhile, somebody else was working for five days and they would have a day off. And so everybody who was in green would have the same one day off and everybody who was in peach would have the same one day off, but there was no like day off for everybody. Right. And so there was just, the idea was that it would be continuously working, that everybody would be more productive. Um, And they, there was like these insane calendars, like this comes from the archives. Let me show you this real quick. This is giving me bad flashbacks to having the block schedule in high school and never yeah. being able to remember yeah. it. Yeah, it's like a massive block schedule. Like this was the calendar. So ah, no. <laughs> so you would have to, you know, would you would have to work, and it was supposed to be that managers made sure that husbands and wives were assigned to the same color, but they didn't, and so they would just never see each other, and so. 
the reason I read about this was, again, I've talked about it a bajillion times, but I'm reading it for research for my high schoolers now. The uh, Oliver Berkman talks about it in the 4,000 Weeks book because he's talking about the notion of time um, being a shared thing and that we, that we think we want total control of our own time, that we think that that's freedom, but actually total control of our own time is not freedom at all because if our time doesn't align with other people's time, then we are in a prison of loneliness, right? That like we can't connect with other people. And so you actually don't want, his his argument is, you do not want total control of your schedule. You want imposed limits and times of rest. And he talks specifically about this Swedish concept where um, everybody goes at the same time and in, in the workplace and has has coffee and like pastries together for 30 minutes. And there's like a name for it. Let me find the Fika, F-I-K-A. So, um, and you That's what have- I was thinking of. That's no. like, I, I was just looking it up too. And I was thinking it was Ferka and couldn't find it. But like that tea and cake time culture, you need to have a little time for cake every day. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he, he was talking about it in there. He's like, you know, if you don't go to the Fika, it's not like it's a required part of your job, but you're going to get some side eyes and there will be social consequences because that's when like, like that's when the the gel of the society comes together. And I do not believe the people who are like, we have to get back to the office because I think they're just trying to protect like business investments mm-hmm. in buildings and things like that. But I do think that there is something to be said for like a space where people can just gather and be together and, but that was going away from the workspaces way before the work from home Absolutely. stuff happened. And they you had, don't have to be yeah. in an office together to do that at yeah. all. And um, I was reading about some people who started doing like online because like, because they were work from home people and they really missed the camaraderie. So they would just set up a time and they'd be like, Hey, anybody who wants to come bring your cup of tea, bring your slice of cake and we will sit and chat. And like, they weren't even working at the same place, but they were kind of capturing some of that idea. Um, so anyway, so the Soviets didn't want that. They wanted this product, this constant productivity, the elimination of common rest days. And like some people said it was just a, a side effect that it threatened the family. But um, a lot of people said it was baked into the original plan was to threaten the family because like parents weren't seeing their kids because they would all be on staggered different schedules and like yeah. no one was seeing each other. And people were it, almost immediately were rebelling against it. They were like, what's the point of a day off if I can't spend it with the people that I love? Like, what's the point of a day off if I can't? enjoy meeting up with other people and so it really kind of showed how cultural time is right like how time's usefulness is in relation to how we can use it to be together um and so i went to look up that term and one of the first things that i found was this article from the atlantic that was written in sorry this is the wrong article uh that was written in 2019 which is interesting because we all know it was written in November 2019. So we all know how the mm-hmm. world was about to change as they talked about this. But they were they were talking, mm-hmm. they open up with this story about this experiment and and how it did not work. For one thing, part of it was they wanted this constant productivity, but it turns out that if the machines didn't get a chance to cycle down and like the machines started ah. breaking down, which I thought was a lovely metaphor for like yeah. Like we all need rest, even the mechanical components. Um, And so they're talking about that. And then they were talking about how much we have kind of done something similarly in American culture, even though it's not coming from like a socialist agenda, it's coming from a capitalist notion of, um, you know, the, the idea 
so many hourly wage workers are now scheduled based on an algorithm that says how many people need to be on each shift that is constantly changing. And I don't know if these statistics have changed or not um, from 2019, but this found that 80% of American workers paid by the hour have fluctuating schedules so that they don't know what days they're going to have off. They don't know what times they're going to work. And they, um, what are these? There's these other stats. 40% of hourly employees get no more than seven days notice about their upcoming schedules and 28% get three or day, three days or fewer. And my mom had worked at Walmart throughout most of my, like from the time that like um, I was 12 until just very, very recently, she finally retired from Walmart. And um, it was constantly like her schedule was constantly being jerked around where she wouldn't know what day she was going to work. She wouldn't know what hour she was going to work. And I, it's just very hard to make any plans with somebody who doesn't know when they're going to be scheduled. And it does feel like a power that's being wielded over them to just be like, you don't, you know, you can't even make a doctor's appointment. You can't even, yeah. you know, know if you're going to be off for this wedding or, um, and it made me think about the, the, when the railroads were going on strike and they kept offering them more money and they kept saying, we don't want more. We're not, we're not striking for more money. We're striking for predictable schedules. We want to know. And they're like, we can't give you that. Like we, we can't give you that because we don't know when we, we need you on call. And they're like, I can't always be on call. Like I have to know when I can have my life. And I don't think they ever did come to a, I mean, I know that they got the strike, but I don't think they ever did give them that. And I just, um, and then they, this article from The Atlantic talks about how on the other end, people who are not hourly wage workers are giving up their their sense of like time off in a in a organized sense because they just work all the time. Right. Because you you know, you you always have your phone on you. You always are checking emails. They, they mention here like, you know the soccer game used to be a time when parents could chat on the sidelines and catch up with their neighbors, but now you're all on your phones doing email yeah. and, and taking calls and working. Um, and so they're like this idea of when we actually have this space to be off work together is deteriorating under the structures that we currently have in place. And I'm sure that our new systems of like work from home and um, a lot of flex work have changed some of these statistics, but maybe even to where there's even fewer people who are living in predictable situations. Like I would imagine that it has made it even less predictable. I don't have yeah. the stats on that, but it, it seems like that would be logical. Um, yeah. And so just that then led me to finding an article titled Publish in Body Politics in 2020 by Pavel Vasilev. Um, and it is titled Reproduction Cycles, Effective Economies of Menstruation in Soviet Russia from 1917 to 1953. And the abstract for this says, I bring together radical early Soviet projects of transforming both reproductive bodies and productive time by focusing on the case of the female menstrual cycle. Echoing Emily Martin's anthropological work, I examine the hidden effective economies of Soviet menstruation and place this discussion within the larger context of socialist politics of productivity and gendered citizenship. In doing so, I actively use the metaphor of reproduction cycles and highlight the double embeddedness of the female menstrual cycle and the politics of both Rep reproduction and economic productivity. Um, and so 
this this author makes the connection between these attempts to control time and the attempts to control the female body as a way to like create mm, yeah. the most productive reproduction. Um, and so they're talking here about this background, how when the Soviets, when it first, you know, after the Russian Revolution in 1917, there were incredibly progressive policies in terms of gender equality put into place in that um, they looked pretty radical, like abortions were readily accessible and free. Uh, divorce was very easy to get, including by mail. Um, women were given, you know, the right to vote very early and equal pay. Like, so it was just this, this place with a lot of kind of feminist ideologies um, in place. But they said that the, that there was in the 30s, as Stalin came into power, there was this backlash against that and a more conservative, isn't there always, right? Something progressive, yeah. something conservative sm smacks it back. And so um, that took the shape of a double burden problem where the Soviet women were still expected to continue to work full time alongside the males, male workers, but then were not, you know, alleviated of the responsibilities of a mother and a homemaker. And then later um, in at the end of World War II, there was this this pressure on women to um, have have lots of babies to kind of regrow the population after right. after world war ii and there was even a um the establishment of a special mother heroine legal status for women with 10 children or more introduced toward the end of the second world war so you could get a special legal status with special like privileges if you had at least 10 children and so this is this pressure to um create babies basically and then there were more restrictive sets of reproductive policies put into place by the mid-1930s homosexuality and abortion had been recriminalized after they had earlier been um you know part of this kind of freedom and this very liberal and libertarian mindset of people being able to do what they want and then divorce procedures became harder to get as well and they really put the pressure on for these these birth rates and at the same time these experiments with time and like the illusion of being able to control time was helping them put forward this utopian concept of like, if everybody will just fall in line and do things the way that we're telling you to like, let the, let the order fall into place based on this kind of what, what we're telling you to do, then we will create this massively productive um, utopia that gets everything that we want. And that included the use of hormonal drugs to make human bodies better suited for this utopian society. And so there was mm -hmm. um, Gravidon, which was this all-curing hormonal drug that was made from the urine of pregnant women. And um, it was produced beginning in the late 1920s and didn't finish pr production until 1964, even though it was found to not do the things it was said to do like it was it was kind of sold as this cure-all for all kinds of like rejuvenation and um exhaustion and hemorrhoids and like all kinds of things mm -hmm. including trying to cure women who did not have menstrual cycles so that they could become reproductive members of the society again and um the most interesting thing let me find the exact quote they then start talking about menstrual leave policies and how there's this huge debate over whether menstrual leave policies are progressive or if they are regressive because they 
hit women against men as the standard and so that women need leave because they're not living up to the standard. Um, and so to this day, like Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, and Taiwan all have menstrual leave policies, but few other countries do, including modern day, like the modern day Russia does not as well. Um, and so this debate over whether menstrual leave is progressive or regressive is really interesting and kind of fits along and according to this author, at least along those lines of the the battle that was being waged in that early Soviet period. And then ultimately, the menstrual cycle is a useful prism through which to view and to reassess the female experience in the history of everyday life in the Soviet Union. And so talking about the metaphor of the red days of the calendar is a way to discuss the peculiar double status of menstruation as potentially both a time off and a time of celebration. And I just I thought that was an interesting way to connect these attempts to control time and bodies and natural cycles. And it's all in my mind because of the daylight savings time ending (laughs) standard time. And just the, like, you know, can we just, we can just change time. We can just, and apparently I also learned through this research that um, during the Soviet, like after the Russian revolution, they just decided to change what calendar they were on. So everybody went to sleep on January 31st and woke up on February 14th because they had to shift to a new (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's all, we know this in theory, right? That it's all construct. But in practice, it's wild when it happens. When you live in the one place that doesn't do daylight savings time or when you wake up three weeks later, like Rip Van Winkle style, it's, it's jarring. Why don't we do it for cooler things? Better things. Yeah, if we have the power, can't we do it? For, yeah, I don't know. What, so would there. You, what would you do? Time is a construct. And you're given the power to like. I mean, I don't it. know. Because we. Would cause you there's... do it away with daylight savings time? I mean, I would. I don't know. Because like I. So this. I think about this more than I probably should. Um, and I also think about like the pop culture that we have that like warns us about about using bending time to our will. I've been thinking so much about the cultural and social implications of time. And I've also just been thinking about how differently people experience the world. Because in terms of like it got to be about 55 degrees and I it's not anymore. It's like 80 and I'm miserable again. But I was so happy like I was just literally a better person I was like I am wearing a hoodie and I am outside and I feel great and then I'm looking at my poor friend who is shivering and miserable (laughs) like I hate this and I'm like oh I literally can't understand but I am so sorry that my joy is coming at a time that causes you great pain but I'm still very happy. So I'm going to go be happy away from you because this feels mean, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah. and I think it's similar with the, I, I think the debate between the, should it be standard time or should it be daylight savings time really is just, are you a morning person or are you not a morning person? Right? Like, I think that that's are you a, a lot of what it person or not a sun person. <laughs> and, and I think that like, it, we can have both kinds of people. Like, I don't think we need the world to be split into two. But then part of this is, is does it just become like the Soviet experience? I'll just never see a morning person and be like, I will just, I will get up at noon and go to sleep. But, you know, like, I, and so some of it is inconvenience of having that overarching schedule. 
might feel irritating, but in that irritation is the opportunity to interact with other people and be part of a larger responsibility. And that is worthwhile and that is valuable. Yes. And so yes. I don't know what I would say we we should collectively do because I don't think it should be like, you know, individuals get to create their own sense of time and just, but I do think that we're kind of headed towards that with all the no, freelance yeah. work and all the, yeah. and I think that we really lose something if we're not collectively making a decision about how we view time and how we see it. But I do think that we need to do it that's like 14 butts in a row now. So that's lots of layers to this cake um, that we can have during our fika. Uh, yes, this is our fika cake. <laughs> um, but I, I just, I think that there are some baked in biases toward certain types of labor that are outdated. And we have some weird morality about when people sleep. Like if you go to bed early and wake up early, you're a better person. And I, that's just weird and doesn't, has never made sense to me. I'm like, why, if I sleep my eight hours from, you know, 2 a.m. to whatever eight hours later is 10 a.m., you know, is that right? That's eight. I can do, I'm a math scientist. We're math scientists. Just 10 a.m. just didn't seem late enough. For it to, like, why are you judging me for waking up at 10 a.m.? That's a perfect right? time society. Yeah. But like, you know, why why does that matter? But it does. Like, there's all these moral judgments to it. And totally. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have answers. Only frustrations. Only frustrations. <laughs> I don't know. I I can't think of anything good to do with time if I was given the power. And maybe that's why it's not any better, is that everybody's like, I don't know. We can't do better. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just the sense that we could do better? Yes. And nobody, but nobody is. But it's it, it feels like the whole world is a tragedy of the commons now, in a way. Oh, well, and that was another side effect of the Soviet work experiment was that there were all these shared work responsibilities but they were like when the work was a shared responsibility nobody felt responsible for it there you go which we talk about a lot that idea of flattening hierarchies doesn't always work because sometimes you just need someone to tell you what you need to do you really do sometimes you really really do and you just have to hope that person is good at it Sorry, I'm being very quiet because I'm very frustrated about time. I was I was like, I feel like I brought the energy down a lot with this one. You didn't. There was a great conversation and great research. I just think I'm thinking through. I think we talked about before this started how I'm kind of frustrated how my time is being monitored right now in my job. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that's making me think about that. But... I just also feel kind of stupid that I'm like, oh, well, what would you do with time? And I have no answers. And I'm just like, well, why not? Why don't I have answers for the world anymore? Is that like the world now? Is that me getting older? I feel like I used to, I would be like, no, here's what we all do once upon a time. I think maybe you've just learned that the world is more complicated than younger us wanted to think it was. I'll just take it as a sign of maturity and 
leave yeah. it at that not put a moral component on it yeah i don't think there's a moral component on that okay Thanks, I mean, i'm not expecting you to solve the problem of time and- i kind of feel like you are and i kind of feel like i'm being pressured right now <laughs> <laughs> i asked the question <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no um okay is it okay time it is time for, for your research thing <laughs> okay if the energy in the room is brought down ready for it to get brought down more oh good good not, we can only not, go deeper not because this topic is a downer but because i failed at it so miserably i promised you and we alluded to this last episode i promised you a banger of a research thing i said i'm working on it it might be multi-parts this might be the next snowman it is not <laughs> it is absolutely not um i i did extra work after i found the answer just because i was like well maybe i felt like um some npr gimlet podcaster being like oh shit i pitched this story and now i there's no story here how can i find a different a different uh, angle angle. i i i went i did actually a lot and nothing happened so short of the going undercover joke we talked about that i'll explain but basically my research question started when i a few weeks ago ordered food from panera AKA St. Louis Bread Company. And I got, it's 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 like an all bon pot place, right? If you don't know, I don't know what to tell you because Panera is prevalent. Pastries. Sandwiches, soups, pastries, cafe. Um, and they have this thing called You Pick Two, which is basically you can get two halves of something, like half of a soup and half of a salad, half of a sandwich and half of a soup etc and so i ordered a small macaroni and cheese because our macaroni and cheese is very good i think yeah and and a half sandwich and when i opened it i found a whole sandwich to my delight ta-da. I was like, oh, hey, ta-da. I was like hey thanks guys it was just a whole sandwich it wasn't cut in half like their sandwiches usually are just a whole sandwich but it made me think because of that whole sandwich do they for the you pick two sandwiches at Panera? Do they make a whole sandwich and cut it in half and waste the other half, or do they only make half a sandwich? And the, in the moment, and when I pitch this to you, my podcast host, you're like, "Great question." Oh, let's do it. As I repeat it now for others to hear, <laughs> so fucking stupid, but. <laughs> And we talked about it. We're like, it was, well, it was a if, mystery to solve. It was, it was a mystery. If they make a whole sandwich and cut it in half, then they have to like hope someone else orders that sandwich. So that would be super wasteful. But I wouldn't put it past a food place because that would just be easier to make the sandwich cut in half, throw it away. I would not put it past any food place that that's what they're doing. Um, I just don't think but, it, I don't think it's economical. Like I wouldn't put it past right. them from a like waste perspective in terms of the like food or the impact on the environment, but. I mean, meat is expensive. Like, you're not going to waste. Yeah. 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 So I went on my quest to figure out what now in retrospect seems like a very obvious answer to my question, which is, does Panera make a whole sandwich for you pick two? And I at first Googled this and I found a very solid answer. 
like I said, I was looking for other angles. I called Panera and I asked them and they laughed at me. <laughs> I said, no, I'm serious. And they went, what? Do you want to put an order in for Eagle Pick 2? And I said, no, just when you make one. They're like, yeah, you can get a half sandwich. I'm like, but do you cut it in half? It was the dumbest conversation. I wish I had recorded it. And like, you could hear my desperation. <laughs> um, to where I was like, no, but once I got a whole sandwich for you pick two. And they're like, they did tell me, they're like, yeah, sometimes we like don't read it or we just are in the flow of making whole sandwiches. And if that happens, we give them the whole sandwich. So, so you just magically get a whole sandwich. Yeah. So that to me confirms I'm not skeptical about the answers the internet gave me. So when I Google search this, and I just want to make a quick note that Google has gotten worse and worse and worse. Oh my gosh, Google day. has gotten so bad. Every single day it gets worse. And now I find that the only place I can get answers on the internet is Reddit, basically. Reddit is my new internet. Um, I Googled, does Panera make a whole sandwich for you pick two? And the first thing I got was on Quora. And the and this is not an answer, but this exchange was so wild to me. And like, I couldn't understand it. I don't know what they were talking about. And I just wanted to share it. Um, and the question on Quora was, is a whole sandwich at Panera actually two sandwiches? I think they meant like maybe calorically. I think they meant like serving size, right? That has to be it. But I'm just enamored with, is one sandwich really two sandwiches? And the answer, which comes from former shift supervisor at Panera Bread from 2019 to 2020, um, Laura Bierman, who has answered 193 questions on Quora. Thanks for doing the work. Expert level. She says, it depends on the bread. When we used to still have whole grain bread, a whole ham and swish or turkey sandwich would indeed be two sandwiches. This is still the case if you order your sandwich on honey wheat or on regular white bread. These breads are pan loaves and aren't as wide as our other breads. The others, country rustic, farm style, sourdough, tomato, basil, cranberry, walnut, white, mishy, are wider breads baked in mishy pans i don't know what that is so a whole sandwich is still enough to be considered two sandwiches but it's using only two pieces of bread instead of four both of the focaccia breads and the ciabatta bread like the pan loaves will get you one sandwich for a half order and two sandwiches for a whole same with french baguette plus please don't order your sandwich on a baguette our baguette is meant for dipping in soup not making sandwiches it's hard to get them to stay together and hard to cut pro tip from someone who worked for panera if you want a larger BLT sandwich, go for a change of bread. Our sourdough always ended up being teeny, and there's really only so much you can do to stack on those ingredients. So they ended up being small and very messy sandwiches. So, so from that context, I think, I don't know if this is what the original person was asking, but I think that person is answering whether you will get two separate sandwich pieces. So oh, like, like a, a whole sandwich yes. or a cut in half. Or a cut sandwich. in half sandwich. Like when you give your your grilled cheese to your toddler yes. and you cut it diagonally and they're like, no, I only want it cut horizontally from now on. And then you do it that way. No, so it, yeah, like that. One whole sandwich is one sandwich and a cut in half sandwich is two sandwich because we are saying sandwich piece. 
sandwich yes, pieces. Because we are saying a sandwich is a single thing you can hold in your hand between two pieces of bread. And if it was cut in half, it's cut in half now you have sandwiches. two sandwiches. I disagree, but I think that's what this is. I think that must be what the, yes. But hey, I did learn a good tip that if you want a big sandwich, don't order it on sourdough, replace the bread. And if you want to piss everyone off, order it on a baguette. But that did not answer my question. So I Googled some more. Google sucks now. But I finally came across on Twitter, someone asked into the void while they added the official Panera account. I think it's time for my song. I sing a song multiple times a week now. And it goes, everything gets a little bit worse every day, every day. Everything gets a little bit worse every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> it should not take this long to load up a Twitter page, but everything gets a little, a bit, little worse. bit worse every, every day. day. Every That's like a grown day. up. It's a grown up version of our "People Are Bad" song. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, JP at Soul Low S O L E L O said yo at Panera Bread yo. Let me know when you yo <laughs> at Panera Bread this is discourse now public forum you say people don't get together in public forums here we are getting together at to the hard hitting question yo. yo yo at Panera Bread <laughs> let me know when you got some time to answer a few menu questions and Panera Bread said hey at solo what's up JP we'll be happy to answer any questions you may have and Solo said, what do you guys do with the other half of sandwich and salads from the half-half combo? What do you do with them? What do they do? And they said, hi, JP. If you order a sandwich and salad for you, your you pick two, our associate will only prepare half of a sandwich and half of a salad. Um, that was not enough of an answer for JP. He said, okay, but how do they prepare only half of a sandwich or salad? What happens to the other half? Does someone get it after? And JP, just kindred spirit, I'm glad I'm not the only one in the world confused by this concept. And Panera Bread replied, they cut the recipe for one whole sandwich, salad, or panini in half. So instead of receiving a whole portion, you'll receive half. JP at Panera Bread. Just to clarify, they make one and cut it in half? <laughs> Panera Bread. They just make half, JP. <laughs> For example, they do not make a whole sandwich and cut it in half. They only prepare one half of a sandwich. For example. <laughs> it's not an example. They're just repeating They're the just business. repeating the same information. <laughs> <laughs> but this is almost verbatim my phone call with Panera. I could be GP. <laughs> so as ridiculous as that is, that well, was my life. So shout minutes. out to Panera, because in both instances, it sounds like they just patiently explained yeah. the situation. <laughs> For example. I want to know how often that gets asked. <laughs> so yeah. Um, the answer is they do not make a whole sandwich. They, they do not make a one sandwich to make two sandwiches. 
Not everyone can be a math scientist like us. Oh man. So yeah, they they just make half the sandwich. They just make half the sandwich. Who hasn't been there? You cut one piece of bread and you cut that piece of bread in half and that's your sandwich. And then they accidentally make you a whole one sometimes and you get a surprise. Yeah. Thank you, Panera. This is just uh, our podcast this week is not sponsored by Panera. But if you want to sponsor us, I love your Mediterranean veggie sandwich. Oh, I just had their new chicken. Now it does sound like we're, they're sponsor- we're sponsored. They're, they are sponsoring us this week. I just had their new chicken breakfast sandwich. It's like a spicy chicken breakfast sandwich. Really good. It's got like roasted peppers yeah. on it and like a this chipotle sandwich. sauce. This is an egg. Yeah. Great start. I will say, so we don't sound just, you know, both sides equal, equal time. I love their bowls. They have warm bowls, like a Mediterranean bowl, a Baja bowl. And that would sometimes be my special treat to myself. Last year, I had a ton of dental work and a ton of just hospital visits and MRIs. And after everyone, I went and got one of these bowls and it was like, just nice. I went and got one recently and it was like a third of the size. You know why? Why? Everything gets, Everything gets a little, little bit, worse. bit worse every, every day. day. Every day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, it really it made me really sad. It's yeah. and the price doesn't go down. I understand. I understand that like the world is hard and the world is hard, but just charge me an extra dollar and let me have my full bowl, please. So that's it. Panera. That's it. Thank you. And if you want to sponsor us, I will. I would love to be paid in orange scones. There's nothing as good as a Panera orange scone in my mind. That's it. Oh my God. We're yeah, done. Now we're we can done. wrap up. Wow. Recap. Yeah. I say that like it hasn't been like two plus hours that we've been. <laughs> this is our FICA. This is our time yes. for a little treat. We hope that you are enjoying it as well. Um, okay. Recap. Yep. My weird thing was my Nano Rimo experience and my characters pushing themselves to optimism despite my best efforts. My weird thing was the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. My pop culture thing was Nicolas Cage in Willy's Wonderland. Cannot wait to watch that. And my pop culture thing was Skinamarink. And my research thing was Nepirovka, the Soviet work week, and its connection to the menstrual cycle. And my research thing was, what does Panera do with the other half of the sandwich and you pick two? The answer was, for example, it doesn't exist. (laughs) For example, nothing, because it is not created. Go watch uh, Back to the Future. That scene where he disappears from the photo. That's, that's how it works. The sandwich. That's, that's how, how that's the, what you they do. Two half works. Yep. That's uh, what I would do with time. I would disappear the other <laughs> half. Good. We have answers. So I don't know what our fortune cookie should be, but I think it should start with, for example. <laughs> just for example. For example. And then just whatever else we're going to put. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely absolutely okay for example um so we talked about time 
management-ish. We talked about films that we liked and the vibes of the films are hard to explain and probably not for everyone. We talked about um I feel like NaNoWriMo and the productivity of that kind of fits with your research a little um Well, and some of it's just about like Is there something about just like overly complicating processes? I feel like we did that last time. What was that one, but this is just <laughs> too possible. hard for right now. We we no no we no talk about yes we did do the like we just can't do this right now. But I don't mean that. I mean like I mean like I think maybe there's a thread in making a process harder in an effort to make it easier. Like somebody trying to simplify something and overcomplicating it instead. Yes. Like the Soviets were like, we want people to work all the time. And instead they made this incredibly complex system that just literally broke the machines that they needed to make work. In addition to making all the people miserable that they needed to support their vision. So. And like the whole history of the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid is very convoluted to get what is a very banal thing? A Bass Pro Shop. Bass Pro in the Shop. World. Yeah. <laughs> and like, to like justify we're... by putting a hotel inside of it. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the nano experience. I'm glad I'm doing it. But it is definitely, there's a lot of pieces happening, right? Like, it's a lot of pomp and circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's like, I think, I think more than sometimes more than writing. It is about, all the lore of it the, yeah. the language the community the events the ritual ritual it's yeah ritual to it yeah for something that is essentially i that one fits and i'm not going to fault it but i'm going to say like sitting and writing isn't inherently like a simple thing well it is actually just sitting and writing is a simple thing that doesn't mean it's, it's an not easy thing it's not easy but it's, but it's simple. simple yeah yeah and i think and yeah to do good writing you really do just need to sit and do it you don't need gift baskets and a whole new vocabulary and YouTube videos to watch along with. Yeah, yeah, that works. And Willie's Wonderland is all about ritual. He, you know, is ritualistically cleaning and then ritualistically chugging his energy drink and then going back to his, it's like a a cycle of, you know, ritual work. Are we saying, because it's, we're moving into just saying ritual, but are we saying ritual is a process of overcomplicating something simple? Because, right, that's, in a way, that is a definition of ritual. It's not a great definition, but it is a definition. Is it always, does it always overcomplicate? I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm not rejecting it. I'm I'm testing it. I does just ritual... can't think of anything that is a ritual that isn't more complicated than the thing it is getting at. Yeah, because, I mean, I think a ritual always adds something. And if you've added yeah. something, it is necessarily going to take at least one more step than it would have taken right? to like, just do it. Say your morning ritual. You do yeah. mean something a little bit extra than my morning Just routine. get out of bed. Yeah. 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 So I like this ritual then. Um, I think. I don't know how Skinamarink fits super well, but. I guess. I mean, this you. This is a 
could we say that you watched it as part of this like kind of ritualistic watching of horror movies for the season? Absolutely. I could also say that it takes some key things within horror, like like I said, like the jump scare and like hiding the scary things and does them to just such a big degree. I'm not going to say it's complicated, but I would say they take these rituals within horror films and really overdo them and i would say they're not even overdoing them they blow they blow them out yeah so yeah sure (laughs) that fits just throw it in there okay um and then i mean i think oh yeah for example for example (laughs) i not only is that the thing but i performed that and it makes the menu so much more complicated it's a nice thing but it's yeah it's like just eat a sandwich guys um is that is that it yeah 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 so for example ritual for example a ritual meant to make your life easier <laughs> yes that's like such a chat gpt but like if chat gpt was actually what we thought it was going to be and interesting and good and now it's not um for example a ritual to make your life easier yes <laughs> yes I'm writing it down. I like that one. For example, a ritual to make your life easier. <laughs> I'm not telling you what that is, guys. That's a that's what you think about yep. for the next two weeks yep. until you there hear you from go. us. You figure it out. For example, for example, a ritual to make your life easier. I'm happy with it. I accept. <laughs> I'm very, very happy. I accept too. <laughs> I like it's like the nuclear codes, right? We, we both have to turn yep. our key. Turn, yeah, okay. Yep. Click. Key turn. Click like boom. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye enjoy Bye. send us oh we haven't like made a threatening plea for um grab bags lately so do that send us a grab bag angreement podcast yeah. at gmail.com send us i'll mail the python that lives in a tree in my backyard to you if you don't Ooh, the threats are getting internet i can't mail a python what am i talking about what does that look like <laughs> for example a python example a python to make your life easier <laughs> they do help a lot a lot of people in brisbane want a python they because eat a they, lot of rodents they eat the <laughs> possums that steal all your food right yep yep then on okay. that note everybody have a great fortnight uh, goodbye fortnight bye bye